Welcome to the Boys in Blue podcast, the podcast that's all about cops. I'm your host, retired police officer Bill McReynolds. You have tuned in, undoubtedly, to the most informational law enforcement podcast out there today because we'll talk to real cops, some active, some retired, and we'll get the inside story on law enforcement. So I'm your host, retired police officer Bill McReynolds, host of the Boys in Blue podcast, All About Cops. And I'm here behind my stainless steel titanium microphone in the Boys in Blue podcast studios in Mesa, Arizona. And we have on the line today a very good friend of mine, retired detective Les Cherminsky, Culver City PD, 30 years. Les, are you there? I'm here. How are you doing there, Bill? Good to hear from you, Les. <laughs> Les, I've been knowing you for seven, eight years now. That's about yeah. right, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's about right. And we met because we both rode on the Police Unity Tour bike ride. And that is a charity ride raising money for the Police Memorial Fund in Washington, D.C. And to qualify to ride on this bike ride, you have to either be a police officer, retired officer, or a surviving family member of a fallen officer. And so we ride from New Jersey about 100 miles a day for three days down to Washington, D.C., and we all arrive down there at the Washington, uh, D.C. Police Memorial uh, Park there. And a lot of people don't realize it's kind of like the Vietnam Wall. All the There's a big wall there with all the fallen officers' names etched on there. So we raised, we raised money to uh, fund that. And that's how we met. Uh, we both ended up riding with the LAPD chapter. I think there's like eight or ten chapters of the Police Unity Tour. They come from all over, Florida and Virginia and Chapter 7. Yeah, and we all congregate there in Washington, D.C., then ride into the Memorial uh, Park there, two by two. And there's there's about over 250 in our chapter in L.A. And well, then it's bigger now. It was like 400, oh. I think. Yeah, and uh, you know, our sister chapter is um, New Jersey PD. Okay, yeah. yeah. So a lot of guys involved. I think the total is 2,000, 2,500 police officers riding in and it's kind of a cool experience but that's how you and me met and uh, we just kind of hooked up there and we were the same age same fitness level and uh we stayed out front so we wouldn't <laughs> crash out into front because i was holding on to your back tire <laughs> yeah 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 but you ride you ride two by two so you when you you hook up with somebody on your about the same level and we became very good friends, and Les, you've been like a brother to me. Uh, uh, yeah, <clears throat> we've got together down there in L.A. for dinner a few times, and uh, it's just been a real joy to uh, kind of kindred spirits. Now, so you yeah. were with you were with Culver City PD for almost thirty years, retired detective. Now, where did you grow up, Les? Grew up in Del Air, California, which is like. It's just a little county strip in uh, between Hawthorne, 
city of Hawthorne and the city of El Segundo. So it's, okay. uh, it's in the South Bay area. So not too far from Culver City then? Not too far, but you know, I never really knew where Culver City was when I was a kid. <laughs> so now how did you, what attracted you to law enforcement? Uh, you know, it's, you're going to laugh. It's kind of funny, but uh, I always watched that show, uh, 1 Adam 12. That was like my favorite thing. And I was just uh, stuck on that show. I loved it. And you know, what they did, the uniform, getting out of the car and helping people and get involved in things. And that, you know, just kind of like stuck in my head. And I was a sophomore, I think, in high school. And I thought, that's what I want to do. I watched other you know, officers on the street and what they did and just thought that uh, I just looked for one. It looked so cool. And, uh, you know, I always had that want uh, to help people and, you know, do something more for, for others. And um, it just kind of uh, drew, drew me to it. Wow. So yeah. one Adam 12, which of those guys did you 12. like? Which of those guys did you like the best? Um, I think Malloy. Malloy. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. See, see I like the other yeah. guy. I like the younger well, guy. I like them both. No, so did I. The older guy? No, I like yeah. the younger guy. I don't know if I can't remember yeah. his name. But Malloy. I'm trying to remember. Little... He's still around, too. Yeah, uh, Malloy seemed to get a little bit too deep <clears> once in a while. But that was a good training flick, that's for sure. So now, yeah. there you want to be a policeman. You you see this show. You're watching cops, and and uh, so how did you get yourself uh, introduced to the PD? Well, I was going to uh, El Camino College, uh, getting my associate arts degree in administration of justice, taking classes, and I met this uh, young lady that was in my class, and she told me that she was a reserve with Culver City. PD and um, they were taking applications for reserve at the time. This was back in uh, 1978, early part of 78. So I went over there and um, applied for the position. And soon after, after all the testing and, you know, psychological and all that uh, usual things, uh, I got hired there in mid 78. Went to the police academy at El Camino College. And uh, soon after that, I became a full-time police officer there. Okay. Well, so I'm assuming now that you started out in patrol like everybody does when they're new hires. Yeah, sure. And so after you spend your stint in patrol, you're probably there, what, a couple of years? Yeah, a couple of years in yeah. patrol. Sure, get your feet wet there. And So what other units were you assigned to through your career? Um, the first thing I went to was a crime impact team. And it's a, it's a team that just works isolated crimes like robberies that are in particular areas or burglaries or what, whatever it might be. And um, at the time, um, we had Fox Hills Mall in the area. And it was just being inundated by gang members. You know, people weren't going to the mall. And uh, Chief called us in the office, and uh, we had quite a few people on this team. And he said, uh, you guys are working, period. You're going to work them all. And uh, zero tolerance on everything. I mean, we took people to jail for having a marijuana seed. Uh, we stopped everything that moved and uh, impounded everything that rolled. And uh, so 
Yeah, we finally cleaned that area up, <clears throat> and uh, it was a good thing. So people started generating back to the malls, and we cleaned that area up. We just uh, the gang members went somewhere else. Wow. Yeah, those malls were really a magnet for those gangs, I'll tell you. Yeah, yeah, they I think were. That's yeah we had a lot of shootings there and uh, big problems. You know, a lot of the uh, metropolitan areas have gone to just kind of like strip malls. So there's not one great big building where everybody congregates, you know. So get away with the malls kind of for that very reason. So after the crime yeah, impact unit, so. where did you go from there, Les? You know, I went to uh, traffic and I worked a number of assignments in traffic. I started out working accident investigation in the field. And then I went to work uh, detectives in the traffic, you know, and worked uh, all officer-involved traffic collisions and fatal collisions. Went to wow. a ton of different classes for that. And yeah. um, did that for quite a while. And then went to commercial enforcement, hazardous materials. Did that for about a year or so, and then uh, I went to motors. So the commercial for about four years, three years. The motors is like on the bike. Yeah. Yeah. So now commercial that is for like uh, way stations and that kind of thing. Well, trucks coming through the city. You know, a lot yeah. of them are coming up streets that are restricted, and uh, they're overweight, and they're tearing up the they're tearing up the asphalt. Sure. You know, plus, sure. uh, you know, there's a lot of trucks that are carrying uh, hazardous commodities and make sure that their equipment is good. And, you know, so they're, that when you cite them for equipment violations, it's not just a fix a ticket. <laughs> Those things are thousands of dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's oh. keeping, keeping us safe too from those guys. I'll tell you. So, you oh, absolutely. Yeah. A lot of time on the bike and, uh, yeah. So now, if I remember chatting with you, you had quite a collision on the motorcycle, and lived to tell about it. What talk about yeah. that for a minute, Les? <clears throat> well, I was working uh, Sepulveda and Sautel. It was, a, it was a street that we were having accidents on, people running red lights. So uh, my partner and I were working that that particular street, and um, we saw I saw a car go through the red make a right turn on the Sepulveda. So I turned on the red light, red lights and siren on the motorcycle and uh, stopped, waited for everyone to clear because I could see the guy was in a really big hurry. And uh, everyone stopped and I proceeded through the intersection in the peripheral vision. I could see this car coming up in the curb lane to my right. And uh, I hit the brakes and he hit the brakes. And luckily I hit the left front of his fender on his Porsche coming through the intersection at about 50 miles an hour and uh, went up over the handlebars, took out my windshield, took out his windshield, caved in the roof of his car and then uh, uh, bounced about 60 feet into the intersection between cars. Wow. It was uh, wow. quite a bounce. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, I was kind of disorientated and uh, got up immediately. I thought I was going to get run over and uh, walked over to the bike. The sign was still going picked up the mic and uh, put out the call and seems like the troops were there pretty quick. There was an airship over overhead and um, I knew everyone was coming, you know, so. Wow. Wow. Uh, That's amazing. Of, uh, it's amazing that you got yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't uh, want to get run over. <laughs> sure. Yeah. It's amazing how. Survival, uh, survival mode. Well, I tell you, adrenaline. 
What now? What kind of injuries did you sustain? Uh, I have two bulging discs in my neck and uh, two bulging discs lower back. But uh, you know, the, most of the impact was in my vest. You know, so I think my vest saved me big time. You know, I have a lot mm. of abrasions and this and that, mm. but um, yeah. the vest saved saved me uh, when I yeah. hit because I think it just absorbs a lot of the sure. impact from the car. Yeah. Well, you know what, Les? I'm glad it was a little Porsche and not some full-size van or something where you would have just stopped, <laughs> smacked down. Well, yeah, if it was a full-size van, I probably would have been sitting with the driver. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, well, so you survived that. Well, so yeah. then um, uh, you made detective for a while. And what kind of, what kind of uh, crimes were you handling in detective? Well, um, went in, I was working DA liaison, and soon after that, I was working fraud, which changed the name to intellectual crimes, fancy name for fraud, and uh, worked there for quite a while, and um, we hooked up with uh, working homicide as well, uh, you know, in that uh, financial crimes unit, as we would um, we would investigate, you know, the suspect or the victims, if we knew the suspect, but the victims' financials just to make sure they weren't being used, you know, after the crime. And this particular case, uh, homicide came to, came to me. And, uh, um, right after the incident, this, we, we found that a young girl had been dumped at the park, one of our parks, and she had been obviously tortured and sexually abused and, and strangled, left dead there in one of the parks. So as soon as we uh, found out who she was, we got her name because her her purse was was uh, was still there, had some ID in it, and um, I did a search warrant, a victim search warrant at her, at her apartment in Redondo Beach, and uh, found that she had an account with Washington Mutual, and I called my contact there. Working fraud, you have contacts with just all kinds of financial institutions, and you know. Uh, credit card companies and this and that. So it's an easy call to somebody that you know that working for a bank. And uh, they said, yeah, she used her Washington Mutual at a ATM in uh, South Central LA, in a really bad part of South Central. And this girl would never have gone to South Central LA to you know withdraw money there. So I uh, found out that there was a camera, an ATM camera there. And, contacted my other con uh, contact at Washington Mutual that handles cameras. And uh, he said, uh, yeah, we have video of it. And I have a video of this uh, male black. He's got his chin on her shoulder and there he's talking to her while she's withdrawing money. And uh, I saw that video and she was white as a ghost. Wow. And apparently wow. she withdrew $400 from the account. And she probably thought that she'd get the money out and just let her go, but that obviously didn't happen. Oh, man. And, oh. Uh, yeah, so we got that video, and uh, we put it on TV to see if we can identify who the face is, because, you know, face, you know, who knows who that is. And uh, we had the next day we had a guy call us. He says, you know, I know that guy, and I worked with him. He told me he, had, he killed this girl. He told me that he strangled her and, you know, raped her and he said I thought I obviously thought he was joking because who would tell you that story sure. he said then he didn't show up for work you know so um, he said he, he had a lot of information on who he was his name so 
I ran his name through DMV and uh, pulled his photo off his driver's li- driver license and uh, matched the ATM video. So we found out that, uh, you know, he had a relative. His mother lived in, I think it was Michigan. And um, we got the arrest warrants for him and contacted the police department out there. And they went out, did a door knock and found him there. He ended up getting arrested and uh, we did the extradition. He had detectives go out there and uh, pick him up, brought him into the airport. And, you know, he was... Uh, he left a lot of DNA at the scene, obviously, mm. and her and at the scene. Mm. And uh, uh, there's a bunch of Newport cigarettes, uh, cigarette butts all over the place, you know, around the, the uh, crime scene. So while he's in the airport, he said, hey, you mind if I get a pack of cigarettes? And I go, sure, what kind do you want? He says, I'll take some Newport cigarettes. Oh, yeah. So, kind, of a, kind of a stupid thing for him. He never got his pack of cigarettes, but uh, it was kind of a... Nice yeah. uh, uh, wow. <laughs> well, you know, like we talked before, that's that's got to bring a lot of satisfaction to to you, bro. The hard work you did to bring that all to fruition, and and what a relief for the the victim's family to know that. And I imagine you were in contact with him quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. You know, the family was very well informed of what was going on. You know, not with particular things that we were. Um, you know, that we needed to keep secret uh, because it was part of the investigation. But we kept them informed that we were moving forward and continuing. And we had a lot of uh, uh, clues and things that we were using to locate the suspect and that the arrest was imminent. And, you know, to the, uh, after we arrested the suspect, they would, uh, every year they'd send a bouquet of flowers to the detective bureau. Well, and I know they did. I don't know if they still do that, but I know they did that for 10 years while I was wow. there. Wow. Uh, wow. They're very appreciative that, wow. you know, we were able to bring closure to the, that case. Sure. And, and you have to just build a, just a, a really a strong bond, I imagine, emotionally, if nothing else, um, to get to know yeah. the family and see their grief and their loss and, and be able to help them. Well, what a what a great feeling to be able to put all that together. And and I'll say it again, Les. That speaks to your expertise as a good detective. That you develop those contacts in the financial institutions where you could call someone personally and say, you know, we need a priority staff on this stuff here. I mean, you had developed those contacts, which made you a much better detective right. uh, without going through a bunch of uh, paperwork and administrative stuff so that speaks volumes to what kind of detective you were that's good wow thanks it is a team effort for sure you know oh absolutely (laughs) but you know the beauty of this story too now if somebody saw that in the news it'd get like a 20 30 second blip and they would never know the backstory on how that all went down and how detective kaminsky you know had contacts and the Michigan PD and the Newports and that whole thing, you know, we just get a snippet of it because there's, you know, there's so much time, of course, on news and that, but that's good that you could share that story. Now, um, of all the assignments you had, Les, which one did you enjoy the most? That's kind of hard to say, you know, because I really enjoyed all my assignments. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. You know, I worked sex crimes for a while and, um, Went back, uh, went back to working fraud, and then um, 
went back to patrol for a little while. And, um, you know, uh, I think that uh, working fraud was probably my well, funnest detective job, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just, you know, it's all about solving, you know, something that you don't know. You don't, you don't know until you get into it. And, uh, yeah. uh, you know, it's just finding the unknown was, was a lot of fun. And then, you know, working uh, motors was probably my funnest assignment as far as, as far as, uh, you know, having a lot of freedom to move around and, you know, having a partner working motors, you know, working two, two motorcycles side by side and sure you get to be, uh, pretty, uh, pretty good on those bikes, you know, making turns and, you know, looking good. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we handle all the hot shot calls and, um, uh, and then we got to walk away and let the patrol district handle it. <laughs> you know, so that was kind of fun you know you get there and you get to look like uh, the big cheese and then walk away and you want to ride right the sunset you know we'll catch him yeah yeah exactly yeah. you know i've yeah, had so that was good i've had guys tell me um <clears throat> they rode bikes for years oh boy they'd ride across state and everything like that and these big old yamaha dressers and harleys and everything else and then they get in the motor unit and they go through that uh, training that the law enforcement puts their guys through. And they thought, holy smokes, I thought I knew how to ride a bike until I went through this training. Yeah. So it's pretty extensive, exactly. I, I imagine. And you still have a Harley, is that right? I do. I still ride today. Still ride, yeah. Kind of can't get that out of you, can we? Boy, I tell you. No, you know, no. It's, uh, it, was a, it was a fun assignment, I have to say. Now, how long were you a detective then? Oh, gosh. You know, I went uh, probably most of my career. Okay. I was a detective. Yeah. We went in and out of different assignments, you know, and Mm -hmm. um, we didn't have permanent detective assignments. So we worked every, like, I think it was three-year assignment, and then you get re-upped on it, or you go some some other assignment that opens up, and, you know, you kind of just move around like that. Um, Okay. Orders was three years and worked three years for that. And then I finally, you know, I went back to patrol uh, towards the end of my career and I worked with um, a partner, um, Al Casillas, for four years um, in the same car and ended up, you know, <laughs> working 1A52, 1 Adam 52, which is oh. the one. One Adam 12, so yeah, you know, I just thought it was pretty funny. And actually, it was in my first district unit I worked was. One Adam fifty two. Okay, but, uh, so you and we worked so close together. It was just uh, it was great, great time. Yeah, you build those lasting bonds. That's for sure. Now, yeah. um, being in patrol and on the motors, I'm sure you had some pretty close encounters. Did you have any like shootings, that sort of thing? Well, uh, yeah, back in um, 1980. Jan- actually, it was January 11th. It was yesterday. Wow, it was my uh, anniversary! <laughs> I didn't, didn't, didn't think have, about it didn't, until last night. <laughs> those dates stick in your mind, don't they? Yeah, January eleventh, nineteen eighty, at six o'clock at night, uh, we got called. My partner and I, I was working uh, one out of fifty-two, and um, my partner was was uh, brand new um, 
canine officer. So everybody had to go into the canine vehicle to get used to the dogs. And uh, you know, we were just getting dogs on the department at the time. Uh, and so we got a call of a, a burglary in progress at one of the condominium projects in Fox Hills area. Went down there and I was set up um, on a particular portion, perimeter of the building. All we had was a, was a male white as a description. And um, anyways, this guy, I'm watching this, I'm watching one portion of the building and uh, I look over and this guy is already on the sidewalk and apparently he came out from the subterranean garage and crawled out when I wasn't looking and I had my gun out and uh, he started walking towards me. He goes, hey, is it okay to, to come this way? And I said, yeah, but do it quickly. You know, where'd you come from? He goes, oh, your partners let me go through. So I, I had stopped him as he got close to me and uh, my partner came over and didn't know anything about him but this guy knew my partner and uh said hey he was dating his sister he goes hey maury how you doing blah 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 and uh so i asked if he didn't mind if i search his bag and while i'm searching his bag um and asked for what was taken in the burglary and it was a robbery also uh he pointed a gun at one of the victims when they came home and uh he had a 357 magnum so I reach in the bag and they had said a bag of coins and I can feel obviously a bag of coins. And I um, went to look up to say something to my partner and uh, he looked down at his dog to correct and the guy came out with a gun. And all I remember is the guy's pointing the gun at me and he's yelling, don't move or I'll blow his effing head off, you know. And so um, I was in a crouched position and I just bladed to the right and pulled my gun out and he started firing. Uh, fired five rounds at me and started running out of the apex of a driveway. We were like in a triangle position with the suspect and uh, probably about two and a half feet away from each other. Wow. So as he was running out of the driveway to the street, he was firing and um, I could feel him going right by me. And one of them hit me in the shoulder, went through my shoulder, hit the bone and deflected in, out into my chest, you know, and went out my chest. Well, in front of my chest and, uh, um, you know, my partner fired about six rounds and I fired one round, um, as I was going down and the guy was actually shot six times huh. all through and through. So I got up and took, uh, started to take foot pursuit and it was just getting dark as this thing went down. And by the time, you know, the shots were fired, it was getting pretty dark and he ran into a park and disappeared. And later, um, you know, he was, he went into a business and said he was an off-duty police officer, been involved in a shooting. They took him to one of our local hospitals in Culver City. Of course, they call and say, hey, we've got a gunshot victim here. <laughs> the troops went down there and hooked him up to the gurney. And, you know, that was history for him. But, um, you know, I realized that I had been shot and uh, um, my partner grabbed me and, uh, pulled my shirt off, my vest, and, and there, right when he pulled the vest off, was the, the round that came out of my chest. Wow. Jeez. It was uh, pretty interesting. I still have that bullet, too. <laughs> sure, sure. So, uh, all shots that were fired at the suspect hit him? Um, pretty much. I mean, there was, uh, my partner fired six rounds. And, you know, he had a thirty-eight. Uh, revolver and we were just transitioning into 45s I had a 45 
And I was able to get one round off, and I don't know if I hit him or not. All the rounds were through and through, so there was nothing that, you know, they can, they can determine, you know, what round hit him. And, uh, but I, I probably didn't. I probably didn't get him. I think it was my partner that shot him. And, uh, but they weren't, uh, I don't think they were life-threatening. They are all through and through the shoulder and the sides. Huh, nothing vital, huh? Wow. No. Well, you know prison. what? Just the idea that you were able to shoot back, you know, that's <laughs> shot. Merry Christmas. So, yeah, it's you something you don't think about. You know, you just react to it, and, uh, you, you know, the guy's pointing a gun at you already, so it's sure. not like he's going to walk away. Wow. You got to wow. do something. Yeah. So you're off, obviously, for a while till your wounds healed up. Did you have any like emotional trauma from all that less what's it like to be in a shooting like that well um i actually didn't have any emotional issues out of that at all um i knew that what we did was right uh, there was a lot of things you know like you get you have to have interviews with the shooting team and all that was a new experience and you know what they ask you and and things that i didn't even realize that um <clears throat> you know i did like uh, the time frame, you know, everything slows down, right? Everything seems sure. like it just takes so long. And, uh, you know, they said, well, the, between the time that you were reaching in the bag and you discovered that there was coins, you know, looked up at your partner and the first shot was fired. How long do you think that was? And I'm like, oh, probably like three minutes. <laughs> go, Try again, you know. And, I, uh, and, I, and it just seemed like it was that long, you know. And they try again, you know, think back, close your eyes, think back. And we got it down to like 20 seconds, you know. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, things goodness. like that just happen, you know, just it's quick. It happens very quickly. And, but, you know, things do slow down around you. Mm -hmm. uh, but it worked out. I mean, I never had any issues over that, that particular shooting. Um, and uh, he did go to prison. So and I but, found out that later on he got back out and got into a shooting with the FBI on a bank robbery and getting shot. So well, I don't know. I lost track of him. I never, I, you know, I thought I, I'm not going to follow this guy's life. Nah, I don't care. Nah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, it sounds like everything went good for you on that. That's, you know, so many times yeah. the guys have to deal with that and they have all kinds of problems. But wow. So now tell me now, here you are. You went through all these assignments. You've been in traffic accidents, uh, at shootouts. You've arrested homicide suspects, cleaned out the mall of gangs. Thirty years, <laughs> not, not by myself though. <laughs> well, of, of course not. Of course not. But you added your expertise, and I'm. You know, it goes without saying. Maybe I should say it because maybe some people won't uh, pick up on it. But you know, after your shooting, I mean, every time you were confronting a potential suspect, you probably had your antennas up a little more. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. you know, if you want to touch back on that, uh, one thing that, you know, I was a fairly new policeman at the time in 1980, you know, sure. um, yeah. uh, one thing that we did wrong and, and, uh, it stuck in my head the whole time was as, because of the circumstances and how this thing happened, we didn't have a real good uh, suspect description. And, you know, this guy was very well dressed and, uh, you know, he had a lot of pilots up in the area. He had a flight bag with him and he knew my partner, you know, I didn't pat him down. And if I had patted that guy down, 
um, we would have probably found that gun and this would have never happened. I'd never be telling the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, well, so was that a, was like uh, a learning experience, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, that probably served you well the rest of your career, I'll tell you. So it did. You got, it uh, corrected a lot of uh, things <laughs> later on, you know. Yeah, yeah. So now you've got 30 years in and you decide to retire. And uh, your retirement, you were just kind of having, uh, tell me about your retirement. How did you, when did you decide to say, okay, it's time to move on a little bit here? Well, I was getting really close to my 30 year mark. And, uh, you know, I, unfortunately I was going through a divorce and I had planned on actually staying on the department a little bit longer. You know, I still had like almost a year to go and, uh, you know, it's just the way things work out. Um, you know, I planned on a uh, nice retirement and, you know, getting a ranch and, and uh, you know, doing doing the things I wanted to do. And this divorce uh, just sucked the life out of me, unfortunately. And I don't want to get into all that, but sure. um, I decided that I was done. You know, all the things that I worked for, you know, was uh, half of it was gone. Yeah, or leaving, <laughs> yeah, or plus, plus, you know, more than half on something. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I just thought, you know, I know this is kind of a drag, but it was kind of like, hey, I'm done. It, you know, what I worked for wasn't, you know, it doesn't isn't coming to fruition, and um, mm-hmm. I thought I just wanted out. You know, I didn't, I didn't even talk to anybody about it. I never talked to anybody about even that I was getting divorced. Nobody knew, mm-hmm. so I didn't have anybody. You know, I didn't have any of my peers talk to me or talk, talk me out of it. You know, I just did it and uh, didn't have a plan, really. Um, but, hey, it all worked out. Sure. Well, here's a question I'd like to ask you, uh, Les, and this is uh, maybe to help someone else that's maybe thinking about retiring and picking the time or whatever. Knowing what you know now, uh, would you advise someone contemplating retirement under those circumstances to maybe seek out a trusted confidant or get a confidential life coach or someone to run all this by him first. Uh, I know yeah, you absolutely. You know, yeah. in hindsight, it's 2020. Everyone says that. Oh right? yeah, you know? sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I, if I would have, I know for a fact, if I would have like talked to my good friends on the department, my very close friends, they would have talked me out of it. And I probably yeah. would have, you know, continued on, with my career for, you know, the rest of my retirement, which wasn't much longer, but still I would have had more time to plan out and how I was going to, you know, execute this uh, sure. retirement plan. Sure. So I think from that a, would have been more beneficial to me. Yeah, absolutely. Seeing things from a different perspective. Yeah. Without all the right. emotions involved. And that's and right. the reason I, the reason I ask you that less is because that's one of my things is, um, I have a coaching business, it's lifestyle transitions, and so many guys, they, they don't have a, really a plan, they just think, okay, I'm out of here, and they get mad or something, or the things aren't going just their way, and if they, would just, if they had somebody to run all this by and just, okay, well, you know, three months from now, things might look totally different, and, you know, once, like you say, once you retire, you can't get back in, <laughs> you know? Right. So it's over for a policeman when he says, pulls a pin and leaves, and, you know, he can't just come back. Yes, yes. But, yeah. yeah, but here's the good news, and this is what I always respected about you, Les. You got a gig with Sony Studios there after retirement, yeah. 
And you worked your way all the way up to the head of security for the entire studio. And you got to rub elbows with movie stars like Clint Eastwood. And uh, you were in charge of the tactical team. They got their own little police force in there to take care of all these stars. And so yeah, you, did did. That, and you did that for how many years? About nine years. Nine years, yeah. So that speaks volumes of the, your expertise that you developed going through all those different um, divisions, especially detective and, uh, would you call that intellectual crime? Intellectual crimes, it's like, uh, it was white collar crimes. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was It's just, just a fancy name, you know, every once in a while they change uh, the name of it, you know. <laughs> white collar crime, you know, you're tracking things down, putting the puzzle together. But now, yeah, okay, okay, now you have wrapped up that part because you got an even better offer. And tell me about what you're doing now. I know you can't mention a bunch of names or anything, but tell me what you're doing now. Um, well, you know, I, I was with, Go with uh, uh, Sony Studios for nine years, a couple of different assignments. You know, I was the director of security operations there, and uh, then we ran the tactical team, and then I uh, went back to director of security for the tactical team and, and all uniform security. And while there, um, I got this amazing offer for a position that's basically a solo one-on-one you know, close protection detail. And uh, I just couldn't turn it down. It was just such a great offer. And I was enjoying what I was doing at Sony, so I left on good terms. And um, I left there in, in uh, November of 2019, so just recently. And uh, now I'm working for this uh, gentleman who... Um, uh, it's hard. I don't want to say too much about him. <laughs> But uh, I work a close protection detail. He has a driver, and I just go where he goes and do the advance on uh, locations that he's going to be going to and uh, just protect him. So, he travels quite a bit. He has his own jet and uh, mm -hmm. go out of country sometimes. I'm assuming he's probably in the Forbes 500. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> Net worth starts with a B, kind of. Yes, know? yes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's quite a gig, you know, and uh, here's my question to you very quickly here. Now, other people wanted this job, and I think you mentioned you went through three interviews to get the position. Yes. What was it about you that sold them that you are the guy to take care of this very wealthy individual? Uh, his life is in your hands on many occasions. What was it about? I you think it was just my jovial personality. <laughs> <laughs> well, we knew that we knew that was the majority of it, but it had to be. Uh, <laughs> you know the uh, the resume you built up through your career, not right. only in the police department, um, but also uh, in with Sony there, working your way all the way up to the director of security there. And, uh, in, in fact, I remember some of the stories. I mean, we could talk all day, but I mean, I can remember when all the, I forget it was UPS or somebody, all their detectives had given up, but you came in and solved something for them. Um, so your expertise is went before you and spoke volumes for you. I'm just so happy that you got that position. Um, and it's a real feather in your hat and a testimony to your expertise in law enforcement and, um, I'm glad to have you for my friend, Les, I'll tell you. 
The only thing is, I'm trying to talk you into riding on the Police Unity Tour this this year. Now, I know you just started this new gig with the with this uh, guy, so it might be a little difficult to get some time off to do that. But whatever you can, boy, I could sure use you out on the road next to me. Well, I'd love to be there, buddy. And, uh, you know, we'll see. Like I said, I just started this position, and uh, hopefully by May, maybe we'll have a different uh, change, and I can... I could be out there with you riding because uh, it was always a pleasure riding with yeah, you. Yeah, always so. Well, let's yeah. stay in the line for a minute. I'm going to wrap this up and just say thank you to all of our listeners and thank you, Les, for being my guest today. Hey, appreciate it. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Les. All right, buddy. Thank you for listening to the Boys in Blue podcast. Again, I'm your host, retired police officer Bill McReynolds. Boys in Blue comes out every other week. Subscribe to the Boys in Blue wherever you get your podcasts. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and let us know what you think.